Uh, first off, Easter is just around the corner. Mark, uh, March 31st, hard to believe we're already uh, getting into that time of the year. But be sure to keep an eye on the website because we've got some special events coming up uh, pertaining to the Easter season. And uh, so you're going to want to be aware of that kind of stuff. We'll start announcing specific things as we get closer to the date. But in the meantime, if you want to look at the website, a lot of that's already on there. Uh, also, uh, uh, we are, we've got a nursery going that's happening during worship. And uh, we're still looking for folks to staff that nursery. So if you're interested in doing that, uh, this is a great opportunity to uh, serve and love on little ones. And uh, I, I, I tell you, this is a great opportunity for a husband and wife to serve together. And the only requirement is that you love kiddos. And of course, we'll, we'll, we'll throw in background check. With, uh, so you need to know that. Uh, also, along that same line, we need three puzzles, you know, a few puzzles for, for the little ones in the nursery. Uh, they, they can be new or gently used, and they need to be the topper kind of puzzles, not like the thousand piece jigsaw kind of a deal. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't like those. Uh, but uh, if, you, if you can help out with that, uh, you can let uh, Pam or Karen know, and uh, they'll be happy to help you there. Uh, also, the Change of Life. Uh, fundraiser for the Brennan Pregnancy Center is continuing, and uh, Dr. Phillips told me that uh, she would like to have those bottles back by the first Sunday in, in March, which would be March the 3rd. So fill it up with change. Uh, paper money, too. I'm sure they're happy to take the paper money. Put paper money, you know, just fill it up, bring it back, and uh, Dr. Phillips will make sure so, so she can get those back over there. And uh, the last announcement is this. Uh, Karen emailed out the end-of-year giving statements, and uh, some of you may not have received one. You know, maybe you don't have email or, or you know, stuff. but if you did not receive your end-of-year giving statement for 2023, be sure to talk to me, come to me or, or Karen, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, we get, get that uh, end-of-year giving statement out to you. And that's all the announcements we have, so let's open up with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, uh, we're thankful to you for this day. And uh, Lord, every day that you give us is a good day, it's a special day because it's a gift from you. Uh, but these times, these Sunday mornings together in your house, in your presence together as your children, Lord, these are extra special times. And uh, so, Father, as we come in here today, I pray that each person who came today came with some expectation, some anticipation of uh, uh, encountering you and, uh, uh, Lord, uh, uh, receiving something from you today. Uh, as Hudson prayed this morning during Sunday school, I just think it's a very fit prayer, you know, always. As, uh, as we get together during these times and we encounter your presence and uh, we worship you and we hear from your word, our prayer, Lord, is that we, we're not the same as we were when we came in. We pray, Father, that through this time we receive some renewal uh, that brings about transformation. Uh, Lord, may your Holy Spirit reign free in our presence this morning. And uh, Lord, may we uh, just uh, be endowed with just a... Lord, just an extra sensitive awareness to his presence. May you be blessed. May you be honored. May you be glorified. And all that you see and hear from our hearts this morning. We ask you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, guys. Would you stand? See you with us this morning.
and it, and it begs the question of how are we going to experience the righteousness of God if, like Paul, we just can't do better at keeping the rules? And that's what Romans 8 is about. I'm going to read this wonderful passage. Uh, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, and this is the key for us, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. And the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it's unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Our Heavenly Father, we recognize we, we can't do it. Well, on our own resources, we're never going to reflect your holiness, your righteousness. And, and, and we recognize we need the power of your spirit in our life, just like in these beautiful songs we've been singing here today, praising you and, and looking to the work of your spirit in our life. Help us walk according to your spirit. Help us set our mind on the things of your spirit, experiencing life and peace. Teach us your precepts, Lord, but enable us by your grace through the power of your spirit in our life to actually live out those precepts, uh, to, to reset our priorities, to set our affections on the things you care about, to love you with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, Lord. Bless this time of corporate worship in Christ's name. Now, every time I'm fixing to say something that's going to lead into a song, Bill says it or praise it or he says it and praise it, so I'm just going to shut up and sing this morning. Let's, uh, let's do a, another one this morning. You guys sound so good. It's so good to be back with you guys, and I'm so happy to be able to worship with you this morning. I was buried beneath my shame.
Jason, that was that was able to help out uh, last week, and, and for all that these guys do, I'm so blessed. I'm just so blessed, uh, and, I, and I'm so grateful to be a part of this. Uh, I'm so thankful to be able to sing about my resident Savior who brought me out of that, that saved me, and that gives me a reason and a purpose every day. And it's because He lives that I can face tomorrow. And I want Catherine to come sing about.
miss you when you're not here. Glad to have you home. And uh, Catherine, what a beautiful job. Such a blessing to have you up there today. Bring some special music. Uh, so good to see you all. And uh, I tell you, I, I always look so forward to seeing everybody on Sunday mornings. Uh, Joe and Chris are back. Glad you guys are feeling better. Yeah. Miss y'all. Welcome home. And, uh, we're, uh, we're heading into Galatians chapter 5 this morning as we continue to study this book. You know, it's, it's a, you know, the Galatians is structured very similar to the way Paul structures his letters. The first part is kind of personal, theological in some ways, more theological. And then you get into the, the latter part of the book and it's, uh, it's more practical application. He takes everything he told you, all that theology, he makes application of it. And uh, this morning, uh, you know, uh, you know, if you if you got headings in your Bible like uh, some do, some uh, the, the, the heading before chapter five in my Bible says, "Walk by the Spirit," and uh, we talk about that a lot. You know, this idea of being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. Uh, but it's one of those types of things that just uh, we we talk about it, but I don't know that we really know what we're talking about when we talk about it. Paul's going to lay it all out here in chapter five, and it's an exciting chapter, and. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Paul. He, he cares for uh, his readers like there is his own his own children, and uh, he's very concerned about uh, you know them them standing firm, you know, standing in, you know in, in the gospel and in the grace of God, you know. And, and I'll tell you, you know, if you've got kids, you know, uh, grandkids, nieces, nephews, you got children in your life, you can you can understand what he's. You know, that, that, that sentiment, that feeling, and you know, Pam and I, we've got four kids, and uh, uh, you know, yeah, we're outnumbered. We're you know, they, they, you know, two to one ratio there, and uh, we've been married nearly thirty years, and our oldest son is uh, twenty five. So for for more than twenty five years of our thirty years together, uh, we, we've been raising kids, and I think it's quite an accomplishment that that we didn't lose any of them. Uh, and we've still got all four, you know, we've still got all four of them. And uh, that's not to say that we never came close to losing any of them. And again, if you've got kids, you've ever looked after little ones, your biggest fear is someone wandering off or disappearing. And uh, we've had moments like that, you know, throughout, you know, this, this adventure, this journey, somebody wanders off and uh, one of them gets low, old, you know, gets, you know, just wanders away, gets lost. You know, they just kind of uh, get out of pocket somewhere. And uh, our oldest daughter, Julia, was probably the worst about doing that kind of a thing. Uh, she get lost pretty frequently. Uh, it, it happens sometimes with the other three, but not to the Julia, she just got lost a lot. And, <laughs> and uh, it was just, you know, and, you know, nearly left behind here, nearly left behind there, you know, or just where is she? She's, you know, that kind of a deal. And uh, uh, so we, you know, uh, it's just kind of an all the time thing. And it, it happened frequently enough. She'd wander off and get left or get lost or what have you. And, uh, you know, that's, it's just, uh, um, you know, it's just your fear as a parent that your child wanders off somewhere, that they get lost. And Paul, again, he has this concern for his readers, for these Galatians, for us uh, as spiritual children. Because uh, we have the same tendency. We have this tendency to wander off. All right? We have the same tendency to wander off. It, it's, it's uh, you know, it's what we've been talking about as we've worked our way through that, this book of Galatians to this point. He's been talking about don't wander off. You know, you got to be, you know, there, there are distractions. You know, that's what happened with Julie. I think someone distracted her and she'd go over there and check it out and wander away. And then Paul's saying, look, don't wander off from grace and uh, don't wander off from the gospel message. And But if we do, we have this built-in tendency to do just that, to wander off from grace uh, and into legalism in some form or another. And he warns us against it 
uh, in our passage this morning as he begins to kind of uh, uh, go into the more practical elements of the book. And uh, so beginning in Galatians chapter 5, uh, this is what he says. This is verses 1 to 6. Uh, Apostle Paul, says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Not testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Now verse 1, we touched on it some last week. Uh, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And on the one hand, that verse is a summary of everything that he's been saying so far from the very first chapter up to this point. And uh, on the other hand, that verse, that you know, chapter 5, verse 1, is a setup for everything that's about to happen. It's, it's an introduction to everything that's about to follow. Uh, Christ died to make us free. All right, he died to make us free. Uh, but putting ourselves in reliance upon the law, uh, upon the law uh, putting yourself in reliance upon the law, it, 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 it subjects us once again to slavery. So Paul says, look, you've got you to stand firm against this tendency to wander away from the gospel of grace and this freedom that you've been given into, you know, back into a yoke of slavery with, with the legalism. Now, uh, uh, what is this freedom we're talking about? We've talked about the slavery some, but what is the freedom that we're talking about here? And uh, you know, there's some confusion around this idea of Christian uh, freedom. What is this? What is it? You know, there's you know, this, this concept of Christian freedom. What exactly is it? And uh, some understand it to mean that uh, we're no longer under any obligation to obey the law. Um, that's called antinomianism. Uh, it's a much more common view than you might realize. Antinomian. Anti means against or opposed. Uh, nomian, uh, that last part of the word, nomian, nomos, it comes from the Greek word for law. And so it's talking about uh, being opposed to the concept of law and rule. All right, there are people in the church, Christians, who, who believe that the idea of, of being free from the law, they take that to mean that we don't have to obey it anymore. All right, and uh, you know that sounds like kind of a strange thing to hear, but it's out there. The belief is out there. I mean, I pastored a church uh, many years ago. I was still in seminary, and there was a fellow there in the church who believed that exact thing. He, I remember him. I remember one time talking to him after church. I don't remember what we were talking about, but he made this comment in conversation. He says, uh, "You know, we're no longer under the law anymore. We can do whatever we want." And I like I fell over. I mean, I, wait, wait, wait. You know, I, I, you know, this is a strange thing to hear. Uh, someone say and it's hard to understand how anyone can believe that how can you buy into the idea that God has given us all of these commandments all these expectations he lays out the you know that's just kind of the nature of a commandment I mean there, it, it, it built into the idea of a commandment is is expectation right <laughs> the person who issues the commandment there's an expectation that those to whom the, the commandment is issued will obey that commandment and it's kind of strange to think that God's given us all these commandments in the Old Testament, the New Testament, but at the end of the day, they don't mean anything. 
At the end of the day, we don't really have to follow these things. And, you know, that just doesn't make any sense. But this guy, he really did believe that being free from the law means that we can do whatever we want. He was dead serious. He, he really did believe that. And uh, But, uh, but no, no longer being under the law doesn't mean that we don't have to obey it. All right? No longer being under the law. That does not mean that we no longer obey the law. Uh, what it means is we're not living in reliance upon it. We're free from being, uh, you know, living in reliance upon the law. We, we obey, but we don't rely upon it, uh, our obedience to the law, uh, to get ourselves into heaven. We don't rely upon our obedience to the law to cause us to become righteous in the presence of God or to earn favor with God. Yeah, we obey the law, but we don't obey it for the purpose of somehow increasing our value in God's sight or causing us to be or causing us to become what we cannot possibly cause ourselves to become. All right. And so uh, obedience is an important thing, but uh, it's it's uh, it's it's not. uh, you know, freedom from the law, it doesn't mean freedom from obedience. And of course, when we talk about law, we're not talking, you know, the ceremonial law, that's, that's a different deal. All right? We don't keep the ceremonial law. The moral law, we do keep. All right? The moral law. And when we talk about law here, that's what needs to kind of come to mind, not the ceremonies and the Sabbaths and all that kind of stuff, but really the, uh, uh, the, the moral law. Of course, the Judaizers enforced all of it. But freedom, in short, the freedom that Paul's talking about here is the freedom to become everything God desires us to be and experience uh, life uh, the way that he's always wanted us to experience. All right, that's the freedom. This is the thing we were liberated into. Uh, we, we don't have to focus on rules. All right, rules are important, but our focus is not the rules. Right? We're not led by the law. Right? He says, I want you led by the Spirit. Right? There's a big difference being led by the law and being led by the Spirit. Uh, led by the law, that's legalism. Led by the Spirit, uh, that's where freedom is. And so the freedom he's talking about here, again, it's, it's the freedom to become everything God desires us to be. Uh, it's the freedom from the condemnation of the law. It's freedom from the wrath of God. It's freedom from the fear of judgment. Freedom from a guilty conscience. Freedom from the bondage and power of sin and death. Uh, it, it's just the, it's, it's the freedom to become all that God always desired for us to be. It's the freedom to begin to experience life in the here and now the way God always Desired that we experience life. You know, life was designed to be lived a certain way. And whenever it's lived that certain way, there's a joy and there's a peace and there's a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that comes that just isn't possible by living it in some other way. You know, and uh, it's, it's uh, uh, imagine living life. Totally free from the power of sin and temptation, right? It's hard to imagine that because our life is, you know, we don't have a frame of reference to work from in that. I mean, we've always dealt with sin. We've always dealt with temptation. But there's a day coming when we will no longer be under the power of sin in any way. Temptation will hold any sway over us. There won't be any inclination in us to sin. Uh, that's going to be whenever we're with Him. But in the meantime, we can begin to taste what that life is like. Uh, we can uh, experience, imagine life free from the fear of, of judgment. 
You know, we know that in Christ there is no condemnation, right? There is no condemnation now, therefore, for those who are in Christ. Hudson read it a moment ago, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. One of the most beautiful verses in all the scripture, as far as I can tell. But still in us, there are places where there is fear of judgment, there's fear of death, there's fear of condemnation. Uh, imagine being, uh, uh, you know, experiencing life liberated from every form of brokenness and dysfunction, liberated from failure. Imagine experiencing a life of, of entire hope filled with complete joy, filled with complete peace, and filled with complete satisfaction. It's impossible for us to really grasp what all that means because, of, well, our experience here has been quite the opposite. But what Paul is saying is this, is that Christ has done something for us that secures for us the opportunity to begin to experience that kind of life, to begin to get a little taste of it at least, and move a little closer towards it. This is the freedom he's talking about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. This is the freedom for which Christ set us free. And God's desire is that we grow in Christ and begin again, begin more and more to move into that freedom, experience it, uh, liberation, and the liberation that comes from that kind of life. Uh, but it's so easy. It is so easy. Uh, to become focused on other things. It's so easy to find yourself wandering off. It's so easy to... Uh, boy, I tell you what. Uh, there's so many voices in the church today preaching so many strange things. Uh, it's not just stuff outside the church that's happening that's weird. There's stuff in the churches that are ha that's happening that's weird. And I tell you, you know... Uh, it is so easy uh, to become focused on performance. A lot of churches out there, they major on the rules. They major on the commandments. And the focus is on the law. And I'll tell you what, there's some emphasis that needs to be placed on those things, I'm sure. But the reality is, is if that's the only emphasis, the result is people being led by the law and not by the Spirit. Whenever the focus is performance, you're living by, your reliance is upon your ability to keep rules and regulations. The rules and regulations of the Mosaic Code, uh, the rules and regulations of a denomination, the rules and regulations of a particular church or particular religious leaders. And when we become performance driven, we turn away from the freedom that Christ secured for us. And uh, we find ourselves enslaved again. Legalism always stunts our experience of the freedom for which Christ set us free. It always inhibits our experience of the life that God desires for us. It doesn't take it away. It doesn't take away the freedom. It doesn't take away the opportunity to experience that freedom. But it does turn our attention away from it and it destroys our experience of it. And Paul is very concerned that these Galatians don't wander off. Do you understand what you're forsaking if you wander off? Do you understand what you're turning your back on if you wander away? And this is the direction he goes in chapter uh, uh, 5, verses 2 to 4. As he issues some very dire warnings. He says this. He says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you. Those are strong words. It's like, listen to me. Listen to who's talking to you. I want your attention. Behold. That's a word that's meant to grab your attention. What I'm about to say here is incredibly important. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Boy, these are some tough statements. These are some, boy, these are the kind of things that, you know, a lot of us, you know, hey, well, uh, uh, 
I thought salvation couldn't be lost. What's he talking about? Christ is no benefit to you. What does he mean you've been severed from Christ? What does he mean you've fallen from grace? Is he saying that your salvation? No, that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying salvation can be lost, all right? Let's, let's go through this, all right? He says, uh, if, if you receive circumcision, he says Christ will be no benefit to you. Uh, now, circumcision uh, goes all the way back to the day of Abraham. Uh, in Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, God commanded that Abraham and every male in his household be circumcised. And uh, what this was is it was a sign of the covenant between them. All right, it was a sign. That was the value of this, this, this surgical procedure. It was a sign that Abraham believed God. All right, now he had already been declared righteous because he believed God. But now God's saying, here's a sign. This sign is, is, is a physical symbol. This, this circumcision is a physical symbol of the relationship between you and me. And, uh, you know, him, you know, the, the, the Abraham went through with this. I mean, it was a demonstration or a statement of his faith in God. Uh, centuries later, when the Mosaic Law came along, I mean, it was, it was a long, long time after this that the Mosaic Law came along. Uh, but when the Mosaic came, uh, Law came, uh, we find in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, that uh, circumcision remained in place. All right. It became a part of that covenant as well. A sign of the covenant. Okay, a sign, a symbol, that's it. All right. Uh, over time, however, the Jews began less and less to regard it as a symbol of their faith in God, but rather it became something they reckon, they saw as, look, you've got to do this in order to be right with God. It wasn't, it was, it was no longer a symbol of a covenant relationship. It was no longer a symbol of their trust in God, but it became a means of if they do this, I'm making myself right with God. This is a means uh, by which I'm accomplishing righteousness for myself. And I mean, they totally perverted the whole thing. They twisted. They turned the thing that God intended to be a symbol of their faith in, the, in Him into a work by which they began to accomplish their own righteousness. And, and circumcision wasn't just a requirement of their religious system. It was the requirement of the religious system. It was the main one. It was the big one. You know, your adherence to the law... Yeah, well and good, but it means nothing if you're not circumcised. This is the main one. Unless you're circumcised, and here's the law doesn't amount to anything at all. Of course, they looked at the law uh, as, as, well, it means towards righteousness too. We've talked about that. And uh, this idea that you've got to be circumcised to be made right with God, this, this turns up in, 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 the book, in the New Testament. The book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 1, some of these people showed up in Judea and they were telling the Christians there, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Oh, you've got Jesus, well and good, but you need circumcision too. Right? It's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, you've got to have both. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a sandwich or maybe it's just bread. Who knows? But the thing is, is this, you, you, as far as they were concerned, this was part of the recipe. You've got to be circumcised if you're going to be made right with God. You cannot possibly be saved unless you have done this. And they were coming along and they were telling the Galatians the same thing. And the Galatians believed it. And they were preparing to take this step. And uh, Galatians chapter 4 verse 10, you know, Paul tells us that they were already observing days and months and seasons and years. They were already practicing Judaism. And they, were just, they just still needed to take this step. And they were about to take this step. They were about to make their commitment to the system official. They were about to buy into the whole doggone system. 
And Paul says, look, if you do this, you buy into this system, that's what circumcision represents, getting this physical little surgery done here. You know, uh, it's, you bought into the system. You just ate the whole elephant, so to speak, in one fell swoop. And, and, and if you do that, he says, uh, he says, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now we got to remember the people to whom he was writing, all right? And he, he, he's writing to people that he assumes are Christians. He knows they're saved. All right? He knows they're saved. They place their faith in Christ. So when he says that Christ you know, will be of no benefit to them, he's not turning, he's not talking about. He's not speaking in terms of their salvation, although if they were unsaved and they were looking to circumcision to get, okay, Christ is no benefit there either. But he's talking to people that he believes are saved. And when he says here that Christ will be of no benefit to them, what he's talking about is where you're at now, right? You've been saved, but you're in this process of being transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? This process where God begins working on us and uh, causing us to look a little more and a little more and a little more like Jesus, right? Jesus, the perfect humanity of Jesus, the sinless humanity of Jesus, the very picture of everything God desires for us, the example as we call Him, that's what God is working to do, is to cause the perfection of Christ's righteousness and the perfection of Christ's humanity become more and more apparent in our own lives. We're never going to achieve it this side of heaven. We're never going to see it fulfilled this side of heaven, but we're working in that. You know, this is called sanctification. Right? This process of sanctification, that's the thing Paul is talking about here. When he says Christ will be of no benefit to you, what he's saying is this process of sanctification and spiritual growth, it comes to a screeching halt. You buy into that crazy system where you're, you know, it's all based upon your own performance. Guess what? Whenever it's all based on your performance and it's up to you, it's going nowhere. Your sanctification comes to a screeching halt if you buy into this system. That's what he means when he says Christ will be of no benefit to you. So here they were thinking about it. And it sounds like they kind of made their decision. Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna go ahead. We're gonna go through this. We're gonna we're gonna buy into the system. We're gonna get initiated. We're gonna become Jews, and uh, that way we can be saved if we're Jews. And uh, now, like I told you, this is legalism. This is the essence of legalism. There are rules I've got to follow uh, in order to be a good person and to be right and to uh, be be in God's favor. Uh, and legalism, as I told you last week, I think it was legalism is the sworn enemy of grace. It always has been always will be. Uh, if you buy into the idea that you've got to do certain things to make yourself righteous, if you've got to do certain things to make yourself acceptable to God, if you've got to do certain things to earn your favor or maintain that favor, then the flow of His grace in your life is going to become just radically inhibited because your focus now is not on what He's doing, but on what you're doing. And your reliance is no longer on what He can do, but on what you can do. It's going to bring spiritual growth to a halt. Gradually eat away at your experience of freedom for which you were saved. Legalism says, place your faith in the law. Do this for you. Faith says, place your faith in Christ. Allow Him to do it for you. Legalism says, I depend on me. Faith says, I depend on Him. Here's the big difference. 
They're moving from that place where I say, I, I, I place my faith in Him and I depend upon Him into that place where they say, I put my faith in the law and I'm depending on me. And Paul said to them back in chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you so foolish? You know, we're no less foolish today than they were then when people were human beings. You know, that human nature, that sinful nature, it's just there. And I'll tell you that we, we deal with the same tendency. We deal with this tendency to wander off, to go back to this stuff. Uh, and that's what a lot of us are doing. We start by faith, but then we try to finish in the flesh. We trust Christ to save us. And then we say to Jesus, okay, well and good. Thank you for saving me. I got it from here. I'll begin working real hard, real hard. I'll keep these rules and I'll go to church and I'll read my Bible and I'll pray. And I'll put money. All these things that we do, all these things that we do, I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. We ought to do them. But we look at those things not as a means of positioning ourselves with all these spiritual work on our lives, but we look at those things as a, as a self-help manual. You know, it's like going to the Home Depot, these, these do-it-yourselfers, right? There are a lot of do-it-yourselfers in the church. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not, you know, whenever I do it myself, it, it, it doesn't turn out quite right. You know, I can't build a birdhouse. I mean, that's me as a do-it-yourselfer. You know, if I change a lot, i got to watch a YouTube video. How do you do that? That's me as a do-it-yourselfer. All right, but spiritually speaking, none of us are doing it yourself. It's a disaster. It only brings disaster. But we tell Christ, oh, you saved us. That's great. But I got it from here. It's like having a broken down car in your driveway and expecting that broken down car to fix it. It ain't going to happen. How can we as sinners cause ourselves to be... It just doesn't work. And so Paul tells them, he says, look in verse 3, he says, if you receive circumcision, you place yourself under that covenant, you've got to understand there's absolutely, positively no room for failure in that covenant. Is this the path you want to go? You've got to understand it demands absolute perfection. And that, that right there should have been enough to send them away from that whole concept. Just, just turn them away from it. You place yourself under the law, you're obligated to keep the entire law. There's no room for error. James says a similar thing in chapter 2, verse 10 of his little book. He says this, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he's become guilty of all. You've broken the whole thing. You've kept the whole thing, but you stumbled in one place. Guess what? You've broken the whole thing. I mean, if you go your entire life and only break one commandment your entire life, just the littlest one, whichever one that is, you break only the littlest commandment of all, the most insignificant of all the commandments, or the least significant of them all, and that's the only sin you ever commit, guess what? You're guilty of breaking the entire law. And all the law will do is condemn you, and it'll condemn you in just the same way as it condemns the guy who breaks the law all day, every day, breaks every commandment every day. Alright? Same condemnation. That's what the law gives us. No matter how good you've been, you'll get the exact same condemnation as a blatant, continual, repeat offender. And that just totally destroys the entire notion of getting into heaven on the basis of good works. Right? 
Did he ask anybody, right? How do you get to heaven? Try that. Just ask people, what do you think it takes to go to heaven? So many times the answer you're going to get, well, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'll go to heaven. Oh, I'm a good person. God doesn't send good people to hell. I mean, you hear these types of things all the time. You'd be surprised at the folks who are going to hell. You'd be surprised at who's in heaven. He further emphasizes the danger of this wandering away from grace and into the law. He says in verse 4, he says, You have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. That's a tough statement. Boy, that one just reaches. I mean, that's, that thing jumps off the page and grabs you by the neck, and it's meant to. And again, he's saying here you can lose your salvation. If there's a verse in the scripture that says that you can lose your salvation, surely this is it, right? You've been severed from Christ. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. I mean, that, this could, that could not possibly be what he's saying. In light of everything he's told us about grace to this point, that cannot possibly be what that means. If he's saying here that if you go to the law, you're going to lose your salvation, then he just did everything he said so far. It just, it just totally contradicts the full nature, everything about the nature of grace. And so what is he saying? What did this, this idea of being severed from Christ mean? It means that you're a child of God, but you're not living like one because you've cut yourself off from Christ in the sense that you're no longer living in reliance upon him. You know, the grace of God floods your life. He pours it in your life. It's like a faucet with a handle broken off. You ever had a faucet where the handle broke off and you couldn't turn it off? I had that happen one time in our house. Man, I turned on the kitchen sink and the, the faucet came on and the handle came off. It was like an, it looked like one of the episodes of the Three Stooges in there, man. It, it was weird, but it, it's... That's what the grace of God is like in your life, though. It's like he turned on the faucet and he broke the handle off. But just because the faucet's running and the grace is flowing doesn't mean you have to drink it up. Doesn't mean you have to participate in it, partake of it. And that's the idea of being severed from Christ, is that you're no longer dependent upon the grace of Jesus Christ. You've turned your back from it. And that's, the, that's carried into the next phrase. You've fallen from grace. You've fallen from grace. You've turned your, you've turned your back on it. Fallen from grace. Not salvation. Fallen from grace. Notice the wording. You have fallen from grace. You've shifted your focus away from Christ. You've shifted your focus away from God and His grace. And you've shifted your focus onto these rules. And you've shifted your focus onto you and your performance. Again, that doesn't mean God's grace is no longer available. It simply means you aren't availing yourself of it. He says, stand firm. Don't do this. If you do this, you've got to understand this is what's going to happen in your life. So how are we to live? He says in verse 5, we live through the Spirit. This is how we live. We live through the Spirit by faith, waiting for the hope of righteousness. 
You see, again, righteousness, that's the thing we want to see achieved in our lives. We want for God to declare us righteous, meaning innocent, in order that we can spend eternity with Him in His kingdom, that we can, we can escape condemnation, enter into that great reward. That's what justification means. It means we've been declared innocent. And again, that only happens by His grace. And it's what happens the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ. The moment you take God at His word. Trust me, He says. Allow me to do this for you. This is a problem I can fix and I will. I'll send a solution. I will take care of the sin problem. You place your faith in Him. You trust Him to do that. That's what Abraham did. He didn't have any idea what the cross was or who Jesus is. I think he knew Jesus. I think he saw Jesus. But he didn't understand this concept of Messiah and a suffering Savior. He didn't understand dying on a cross. But he believed God would take care of the sin problem. And Abraham had faith looking forward to what was down the road. He couldn't see it. We have faith looking back. So we put our faith in Christ. And we're forever declared innocent. Because he dealt with the guilt of our sin. And he took the condemnation we deserve at the cross. And so the hope of righteousness is tied directly to the freedom for which Christ has set us free. Okay, It's, it's the same thing. This hope of righteousness. It's entering into everything God ever had planned for us when he created us. We experience the freedom for which he set us free. Through the Spirit by faith. You know, trusting God to work righteousness in our lives, He does that through the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity. And the result of His work in our lives is our experience of all that freedom. And it happens only as we trust the Holy Spirit in our daily lives, submitting ourselves to Him, following His lead. He's going to unfold that in this chapter. He's going to unfold it in this chapter beautifully. It's, it's an amazing passage of Scripture. So he says in verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is this. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised makes no difference. It doesn't put you in any better standing with God. If you're in Christ, none of that's ever going to put you in any, any better standing with God. And you can, you, can apply, you can put anything in the blank. You just put a blank there. Neither this nor this means anything. And if you're in Christ, just insert the blank. Put in there any religious thing you can do. And his point is this, is if you're in Christ, you're never going to be in better standing than that. Being in Christ puts you in perfectly and complete right standing with God, period. And there's not anything you can do that can add to that standing. There's not anything that you can do that will take away from that standing. Neither of these things matter. 
That's not to say that, that, that sin is, is, oh, we can go do what we want to now. because we're, No, that's again, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're saying is, is this, is you cannot do anything to improve your standing with God if you are in Christ. Because in Christ, all things are settled. All things are resolved. And he says, all that matters now is faith working through love. That's the only thing that matters. Faith working through love. This is what matters. What you do doesn't matter. What faith does working through love, that's all that matters. We touched on that a little bit of, uh, uh, a few weeks ago. Faith working through love. You know, the whole question here is the question of obedience and what role it plays in your life. Does it produce righteousness or does it not? And the answer is that it does not. But it is important. We're talking about righteousness here. Being made into the likeness of Christ, experience transformation and renewal. These seem to be the things that Paul has in mind when he talks about faith working. Your trust in God put to work. And how does faith work to produce these things? It does it through love. It does it through love. The Holy Spirit uses your faith he inhabits your faith and your trust in God. He takes that and he works with your love for God to produce obedience. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago a little bit. And there again is the answer to that antinomian who says that freedom from the law means that we don't have to obey the law. Obedience is not important. We don't have to do that. We're free to do what we want. No, we're, we're, we're not free to ignore God's commands and live as we wish. Real obedience to God is brought about by the Holy Spirit Harnessing our faith and our love for God and directing us into obedience with those things. He uses our love for God to energize our faith in God to produce in us lives of genuine obedience to God. It's only by faith through love that real obedience can be achieved. It's the Holy Spirit driving the whole thing. This is why Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the only way to keep His commandments is if you love Him. This is where it's going to start. Obedience is the outflow of our faith in God, energized by our love for God and others. And anything else, it just doesn't mean anything at all. All that matters is faith working through love. Romans 13, 10 says that love is the fulfillment of the whole law. That's the idea here. Faith working through love is everything. This is the place, faith working in through love, this is the place where legalism is defeated. This is the place where the Christian life is to be lived out. This is the place where the freedom for which Christ set us free is experienced and enjoyed to the full. Faith working through love. I invite you to stand with me as we wrap things up this morning. I'm going to be in the very back there here in a minute. Hudson's going to be back there with me. And, of course, the reason we're back there is for you. And so if uh, uh, you've got questions, 
about anything we talked about this morning, you can come talk to us, and we're happy to talk to you and do our best to answer whatever questions you might have. Uh, if, you need, you know, if you've got questions about what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ and uh, what, you know, salvation, how this thing happens, uh, what it means, what you're saying, you know, come talk to us. Um, if uh, you need to know what next steps, you know, hey, I'm at this place. God's spoken to me this morning, and there's something that He's He's, he's leading me to do or showing me to another move to make. I need help. You know, God, talk to us. We're we're here for you. We're here to pray with you, uh, minister to you in any way you can. So let me pray, and uh, I'll back up with these guys, and uh, come back and let us minister to you, Father. We love you so much. What a relief it is to know that my eternity is not dependent upon me because, Lord, I know if it were, I would mess it up. I could be given a new chance every day and I'd blow it by the end of the day. Because even on my best day, I'm a sinner. Even on my best day, I'm in need of a Savior. My best, my worst, whatever, Lord, I, I need you. I need your grace. I need it continually. Not just a drop or two of it, I need the flood of it, Lord, I need it all. So thankful to you, God, that you pour that grace out upon us the way that you do. There's no limit to it. It's matchless, it's infinite. It's so beautiful, it's so amazing. Lord, what a relief. What a relief. It frees us, Lord. It frees us to really enjoy your goodness. It frees us to follow you with fear, with hesitation. Empowers us, Lord, to draw closer. It encourages us, strengthens us whenever you summon us to come in a little deeper. And we love you. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Or we could never repay you, and it would be an insult to your grace to even believe that we could. So help us, Lord, simply to receive it and to live by it. And we ask this in Christ's name.